Hi, everybody. It's Connie Bowman, host of the weekly podcast, Happy Healthy You, where we talk about living lives that are whole in mind, body, and spirit. Our new sponsor for the podcast is Red Revive, and I have to tell you, I'm enjoying the results I'm getting after adding just a couple of tablespoons to my green smoothie in the morning. I've even gotten my family to try it. For more about Red Revive and 30% off your order, go to our Happy Healthy You Facebook page and click on the Red Revive video at the top left. They call it the green-eyed monster, jealousy, or envy, fuels a lot of the drama in our reality television. But there's a difference between jealousy and envy. And is envy a natural human experience? And what is spiritual about envy? Hi, everyone. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. I'm Connie Bowman. Josh Gressel, PhD, is a clinical psychologist who's here with us today to tell us all about envy and what we can do about that. Well, I guess envy is not the green-eyed monster. We're going to learn the difference between jealousy and envy. Josh is a couples therapist in private practice in the San Francisco Bay Area. He's also a student of Jewish mysticism, and he seeks to integrate spiritual and psychological truths in all of his work with his clients. He's the author of Embracing Envy, Finding the Spiritual Treasure in Our Most Shameful Emotion. That book is out now at Amazon and on his website, and we're going to find out all about that. Hi, Josh. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me, Connie. Wow, what a subject. Envy, jealousy. Gosh, people don't talk about that. What inspired you to write a book about envy? (laughs) Well, there are a couple of things. The primary one, I would say, had to do with my own envy of anyone who I would hear about writing a book or having published a book. Mm -hmm. And this is not just, you know, weeks or months of envy. This is decades. I was envious of people who were writing books. Now, I had some dim awareness that if I was envious of people who wrote books, it probably meant that I wanted to myself, but I didn't think very clearly about it. So I went when I went to try to learn more about you know, well, what is this envy saying about me or what am I supposed to do with it? The answers I got were either extremely academic, you know, where they just weren't very helpful or they were very moralistic and superficial. You know, envy is a sin. You shouldn't feel that. Right. So I thought I would kill two birds with one stone, write a book about envy. So I would learn about envy and get a book published. Ah, that makes sense. We teach what we want to learn, right? teach what we want to learn. And I wanted to try to use my envy as a catapult to changing my envy, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, what is the difference? You mentioned there's a difference between jealousy and envy. Maybe you could clarify that for us. What is envy and what is the difference between those two emotions? It's, a, it's an important distinction to make. You know, we misuse the words constantly in English. The truth is they're not even synonyms. Jealousy means wanting to protect what is rightfully yours. So, for example, if you see your spouse flirting with someone else, you are jealous of your spouse's attention to another person because you want to protect your primary relationship. You can also be jealous of your good name, wanting to protect your good name. So if somebody says something nasty about you in print or on air, you might want to react because you're wanting to, you know, protect your good name. And because jealousy is essentially uh, about wanting to protect what's rightfully yours, we're less hesitant 
to acknowledge being jealous and it carries less moral freight to say we're jealous. And I think that's the reason why sometimes we will use the word jealous when we actually mean envious, because to say we're jealous doesn't feel as shameful. But now to talk about envious as opposed to jealous, to be envious of someone is to want what they have that you think you don't. And the objects, you can be as envious of, you know, whereas jealousy is usually around relationships. I mean, like I said, technically you can be jealous of your good name, but it's almost always has to do with the romantic triangle. Um, and we see it on television all the time. We read about it in books all the time. So jealousy is almost always about relationships, the romantic triangle. And we see that all the time on movies. We read about it in books. Uh, so that the the objects of jealousy, it's, it's almost always has to do with relationship, whereas envy is, you know, it's to, it's an infinite headed monster. Um, you can be envious. Anything you desire, you can be envious of someone having it if you feel you don't. So you can be envious of your neighbor's new car. You can be envious of your sister's more successful children. You can be envious of your co-worker's larger bonus. You can be envious of your tennis partner for beating you more often than you beat your tennis partner. You name it, you can be envious about it. And there is a lot of shame attached to both of those emotions. That's why we don't talk about it, I guess. Yeah, I think, like I say, I think there's less shame attached to jealousy than there is to envy. Okay. Um, but envy, certainly for me to say that I'm envious of you is to say I feel less than you. Mm. You're you're better looking than I am. You're more successful than I am. You're more competent. You know, you name it. You're more than me in something. So how many of us like to do that? Right, right. What can we learn about ourselves? Or I should say, what did you learn about yourself from exploring your envy? Well, the first thing. You know, I use the I use the word God, and I know some people are not comfortable with that. So you can plug in a different word for it. You can call it Mother Nature. You can call it, you know, the, the universe. You can say whatever you want. But I don't think God creates something that doesn't have a place. You know, whether it's a mosquito or the emotion envy, there's some place in the, you know, the, the ecostructure of life that envy has got to have its place. So how are we going to find out what envy's place is if we're always pushing it away or trying to squelch it. So I think what I have found is that, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to say this, but the way I'll say it right now is that envy is not a signal to you that there's something wrong with you. It's a signal that there's something right with you that you're not claiming. So in your case, having not written a book, this it was sort of an inspiration to get going with it. Yes, absolutely. It was, you know, I I got tired of, you know, I needed to get off my envious behind and do something about it. <laughs> yeah, so I usually don't consider myself a very envious person, but something happened to me yesterday, and this seems to happen right before every podcast. I get this little, it's like a little nugget that I can use. So yesterday, I was actually in my car, and I got an email from an agent. I'm an, I'm an actress and a voiceover talent. So we, we do a lot of waiting around for agents to contact us and producers to contact us. So this agent contacted me about a producer that wanted, my, now my name is Connie Bowman, a producer wanted another actress named Bowerman to uh, work on a voiceover project. 
next week. And I was, oh, they must mean me. I, you know, I'm saying to myself, but when I contacted the agent, they had mistakenly contacted me instead of this other actress. And so I went to the dark side. I went to her website. I looked her up. I'm like checking her out. I'm like, oh, she's got a better resume. And I totally went into envy. And I was shocked by that. But but in some way that could inspire me to get off my butt and maybe get myself out there a little bit better to get more work, would you say? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, I mean, sometimes there's a nice one-to-one correspondence where it's very clear, you know, that you are envious of this other person for it's either getting more work than you or getting a better gig than you or something having to do with, is it, was it voiceover? Yeah, yeah, voiceover. So I guess, would it be safe to say that you want to do more of this work? Yes, it would. Yeah. And I think that's really important information. You know, you can kind of pretend like it's not that important or you don't have time or you're focusing on other things or whatever we tell ourselves, you know, the Yiddish for it is a Bubba Misa. We tell ourselves all kinds of grandmother stories about, you know, why we're not doing what we need to be doing. But you got a clear signal yesterday. Want you, Connie Bowman, B O W M A N, <laughs> want to be doing more voiceover work? Yeah. So I need to get off my butt and get my get my stuff out there. I I don't know what you need to do. I think all I would say, based on what happened to you yesterday, is that you need to take in that information. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And I like that. I was saying now this is a nice clear example. It's not always so clear. So, for example, I used to be envious of famous people. And I was kind of perplexed by this. You know, I'm standing in a supermarket checkout line. I'm looking at the tabloids. I see Britney Spears. And for goodness sakes, I'm envious of Britney Spears. (laughs) I don't want to be a pop star. I don't want to be Britney Spears. Why am I envious? And it wasn't until more or less after the fact that I realized I needed to become more visible in my life. And so these famous people were triggering my envy. It was a signal to me about needing to become more visible, not to become famous. And that's important information. And and I kind of get that. I was kind of, I was holding myself in. I was holding myself back. I wasn't broadcasting as much of me to the outer world as I needed to do. And since I've started doing that, I'm no longer envious of famous people or even Britney Spears. And that's really interesting, Josh, because... I wanted to ask you what is spiritual about envy because we don't think of it as a a real spiritual attribute. But if we're taking a look at ourselves and honestly assessing this emotion and we turn it into something positive, for example, you wanting to be more visible out in the world, that's because you're a natural teacher and you have something to offer and you have gifts that are gifts from God. So... Right. You, you, that's, that's it. First of all, thank you. I, I appreciate hearing that. And I would say, you know, why is it spiritual? How is it spiritual? First of all, I think everything is spiritual. Me too. Um, but, <laughs> but how is this explicitly spiritual in the language that we think of? Because I think it's a call for our soul to grow into its more full dimensions. Mm. Yes. And so obviously there's something about you and voiceover work that isn't just about ego or money. There's something in that work that is calling to your soul. And I, I take it very seriously. Mm, I love that. Yes, of course. 
So it's a message from God, and you can say God with me. I love her. She's awesome. Okay. All right. So long as I just don't know some, you know, I don't want, sometimes people get reactive to that kind of language and they don't hear the message because yes. they get tripped up over the words. Which is too bad. But you yeah. can insert any other word instead of God that anything that makes you happy, love, God, the universe, spirit. So what would a reader take away? What are a couple of the takeaways a reader can take away from your book? Well, I mean, I hope you're already getting one of those things is to take a more um, compassionate attitude towards your own envy and and to approach it more from a standpoint of curiosity than judgment. Mm -hmm. I, think that's, I think that's a good thing to do overall. Most of us don't know how to do that with something that's considered to be as negative as envy. So that would be number one, is to really take our envy seriously not from the standpoint of going to the dark side with it, but from the standpoint, like I said earlier, it's not that there's something wrong with you. There's something right with you that you're not claiming. The other thing is, um, I mean, I can't review the whole book here, but one other piece of it that I think is really important, it's not just to learn from our own envy, but it's also to become aware how much do we, shrink ourselves or hold ourselves back because of our fear of other people's envy of us. There's a lot about that. Uh, there was uh, a lot of, for example, research done in the early 20th century. Uh, anthropologists would go into these sequestered villages, um, you know, that had been cut off because of geography by, you know, for centuries, whether it's in Papua New Guinea or in Africa or in the rainforests of South America. And to a place, what they found was these these places were frozen in time, technologically and to some extent culturally, uh, that they just hadn't developed. And one explanation for why that was so is because in a closed community like that, the fear of what will your neighbor say or think, or you know, essentially the fear of people's envy, kept everyone from daring to step out, to step out of line, so to speak, in any kind of way. Um, so it really can, and you know, I, in the book, I interview a lot of different people. It's also happens not just uh, with within communities, but within families. You know, I heard a lot of stories from people whose siblings or whose parents would say, who do you think you are? Or you're getting too big for your britches or all those kind of comments, or you're never going to be able to fill in the blank. All those kinds of comments stem from envy. I mean, at least in part, I don't want to make a blanket statement, but it's worthwhile being aware of how much envy is involved in that and to be alert to ways we might be holding ourselves back because we don't want to feel cut off from people we care about because what will they say about us if we really step out there? Right. And there's, it's such a balancing act because, you know, we want to raise our kids with the qualities of humbleness and we're all equal in this world and honoring our brothers and sisters. But also we don't want to diminish their light that they bring to the world. So it's, it's a tough balancing act because as soon as I, I know in just raising your kids, if you hear your child talking like they're all that, if you're a parent with a lot of values that you're trying to instill in your child, your first response is to sort of bring them down. 
So how do we do that? How do we parent and how do we how do we work with that? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it requires a lot of depth and sensitivity to address it. I'm not saying to answer it. The first thing I would say, and I'm thinking about myself and also the people I work with, I think a lot of times our kids um, show up in the world in a way that we lost contact with someplace along the way. So in other words, they can trigger us because they are not limited in the way we have learned to limit ourselves because of our own baggage and our own background. So sometimes that reactivity, you know, to bring them back down, as you say, or who do you think you are, or tone it down or that, sometimes I think that comes from a sore spot within us. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the things I think we have trouble accepting in our children are things that we have learned to not accept within ourselves. So that's number one. I would, I would just want to be aware of that. And I, I, at least I, as I think about myself as a parent and my struggles as a parent, most of my struggles come from my own baggage and not from who my, who my kids are, you know, who they are is wonderful. And yeah, they push my button sometimes, but they help me reclaim parts of myself that got lost along the way. So true. So true. Yeah. And the second thing I guess I would say is I, I, I do agree with what you're saying, that it's a, it's a balance. I'd say let, let life teach them that, you know, that I, I don't know that we need to bring them down. I think let it, let's celebrate it with them. I, I'm not saying to pump them up in an unrealistic way. You know, if you've got a five foot tall son who says he's going to be an NBA star, I'm not saying, oh, I'm sure you, I'm, I'm not talking about delusional. Right. But isn't it wonderful that he wants to be? Yeah. And let the reality of a five foot player trying to be in the NBA, let him deal with it when they, you know, let the world teach him. Yeah. yeah. Just to love and support. Yeah. I, I, that's what the home is for, really, to give them that confidence and to foster that confidence. And that. Can you define Schadenfreude? You talk about that in your book. What is that? Yeah, that's a German word. We don't have an English word for it, but we certainly know the experience. And that is taking pleasure in another person's fall, another person of whom we're envious of. It's kind of a subset of envy. It's maybe the most extreme. But when someone we're envious of, something bad happens to them, and that part of us inside that celebrates. So I actually um, I, I put a first-person account in my book of uh, one chapter. It's one of the introductory chapters. I mean... In general, the reason I'm talking about myself here on air is not because this is all about me, but because I want to model. I want to practice what I teach, sure. and we don't need to be ashamed of it. So this particular example, which it's still a bit of a stretch for me to talk about, um, I picked up the newspaper one day back in the day when I still got a newspaper, and I, I'm looking at the, um, the top left-hand corner, and I see it's an obituary of a famous local psychologist. And I start reading it, and I'd say there's two parallel tracks going on in my head. One is what I'll call my social expectation track, which is how I think I'm supposed to feel, you know, where I feel pity for the man who's cut down in his prime and for his wife and two children who were left behind. You know, it's a man who died of a heart attack when he's in his 40s. 
But the second track, and by far the stronger, was Envy. You know, he's a best-selling author. He's got a private practice in this wealthy area. He's been on Oprah. He's got way more hair than I do. He's better looking by any standards. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm cataloging all this, and then I hear this kind of sneering voice in my head saying, well, he's dead and I'm not. Oh, my gosh. That is schadenfreude. Okay. Yeah. So it's probably good we don't have a word for that. <laughs> well, you know, again, if we if we try to take a more compassionate look at it, I think that the, I'm, I'm going to try and say this clearly, but it's probably going to come out a little bit convoluted. The degree to which we experience schadenfreude is inversely proportional to the degree to which we feel competent and capable in the world. Mm. Or to say it more plainly, if I feel impotent or I'm not capable of doing something, my envy is going to reach to that level where I'll actually wish ill of people. Right. So all it really means is in this particular moment, I was feeling particularly incapable of achieving what this man had achieved. <laughs> right. So that's, that's, that is exactly the response that we should be able to have for ourselves. For ourselves, right. Yeah. Uh, be compassionate. And, uh, do you remember the uh, Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan thing? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, so, the, you know, for your listeners who don't know the story, you know, they were both competing figure skaters uh, in the Olympics. And Nancy Kerrigan was outperforming Tanya Harding, and Tanya Harding had her boyfriend, I believe, go and whack her with some kind of metal pole across the knee to put her out of competition. I mean, that's, I've actually got a colleague who just collected an entire uh, book of anecdotes like this and stories like this. Uh, it's called The Joy of Pain. Mm. Uh, it's basically, it's all about schadenfreude. Mm, yeah, that's a great example and sad. And <laughs> they've taken it's taken them a long time to make amends, I think. Oh, since you know, if, I, I don't know the follow up story to it. I just know that I think Nancy Kerrigan did go on to perform in the Olympics, didn't she? Uh, she did. And and I think Tanya Harding has apologized a few times. But yeah, I'm not sure that it's completely over. I, I saw an interview with Nancy and she, you know, she's moved on with her life. But yeah, I, I, I don't think it's anything she's going to forget. So, <laughs> yeah, that was a tough yeah, situation. The person I, of course, I think we have the more compassion for in some ways, Tanya Harding, that would be reduced to that kind of behavior because of her lack of confidence, either in her ability to achieve similar results as a figure skater or to cope with the lack of achievement. You know, mm -hmm. she didn't have the psychological resources to be a silver medalist or a bronze medalist instead, or or a competitor who didn't place. Right, right. Yeah, and don't we want to raise all of our children in our culture to have that confidence and that sense of self-worth that would not lead to something like that? So, Hey, did anything surprise you in doing your research for this book? Well, you know, a, a couple of things. Um, I'm going to have to, I'll say it, they'll say the first one, and then I'm going to have to qualify it after I say it. Um, the first was, I was initially surprised by the clear gender split between, you know, I, I wanted to interview people, so I placed ads in Craigslist and, you know, throughout the country in different cities. And 
women would say to me, you know, that's a great topic. I have a lot to say about it. And men would kind of hem and haw and say, um, well, you know, I'm not sure I could help. I, I have much to say, but I could probably talk to you about it if you need help. <laughs> and the, the way I understood that is that women were comf- comfortable in talking about their own vul- vulnerability and their own difficulty, um, you know, like you just gave that example of the voiceover, mm-hmm. whereas men have a much harder time speaking about areas in which they feel less competent. Now, I now am starting to wonder if it's because it's me as a man talking to women and me as a man talking to men. And I, I, I don't know if it's really scientific of me to say that there's that kind of split. So I'll qualify that. But what I wouldn't qualify, because this is all about me, um, is I, I, was, I sh- probably should have known this. I had no idea until I started interviewing women how nasty they can be with each other. I thought women were all nice. and, oh, and it's and scary. And, <laughs> it's scary, Josh. We can be brutal. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know that. That was a big surprise for me. Yeah. <laughs> I still have a hard time believing it, but oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Somebody it's, alerted me. I guess there's a line in Tootsie, um, you know, with Dustin Hoffman, where he mm-hmm. dresses up as the woman to get the, the job as an actress. Uh, there's a line there where it says they eat their young, which I guess is biologically true about you know some female mothers in some species but yeah so yeah well i guess it goes back to uh the ancient times when women had to uh make sure that they got the man and and they would stop at nothing to make sure that because the man was the one providing the food the strongest survived so how about in couples that the couples that you work with does envy come up as a a major issue in relationships yeah you know i i think if you asked 100 couples 99 of them would say no (laughs) um but i'm starting and i didn't actually realize this until after i finished the book otherwise i would have a chapter in there about this uh so to answer this question intelligently i'm going to have to do a one minute introduction of relational theory that comes from it's called imago the kind of couples therapy that i practice okay so what imago theory says is that we are attracted to a a person a partner who embodies in an external way something that is dormant within us it's kind of a way of saying opposites attract or explaining why uh to, to give an example a very common pairing be, will be, you know, let's say the guy is super spontaneous, creative, artistic, and the woman is very grounded and um, responsible. And initially, they'll be attracted to each other for those opposite qualities. The man will find the woman makes him feel very safe and cared for. The woman will say the man makes her feel very alive and, you know, just makes life feel like fun again what happens is we cannot outsource our development we have to take responsibility for our own wholeness so once we let's say marry this person we're going to end up hating them for the very same quality that initially attracted us and this man is suddenly going to be like the third child in addition to the two children that she already has you know why do i have three children i only want two and you're supposed to be an adult And the woman to the man is going to become this wet blanket who takes the fun out of everything. What really is 
going on there, that that nastiness that gets started where they start hurling insults at each other, I believe stems from their envy at the other person being able to do with facility something that they need to struggle to claim for themselves. The woman in this example needs to access that alive, spontaneous, creative part of herself. The man needs to access, he needs to get over his Peter Pan complex and grow up in a way. And he needs to access that responsible, grounded individual within him. And until they do that, it's it's pretty much like until I wrote a book, I was going to be envious of people writing books. <laughs> until they do that, they're going to be angry at each other. But I think it really is envy is a more accurate way to say it. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I've heard that before. Yeah, we do. We do seem to partner with people who have qualities that we we think we lack. And if we could just look at it as you are, as an opportunity to explore that within ourselves, it, it changes the whole relationship, doesn't it? Yes. Well, again, I mean, it's if it was easy to access, we would have done it already. We wouldn't have to marry somebody to help us. But typically those qualities went underground because of something along the way, something in the socialization, socialization process or the, you know, parenting baggage, you know, they're connected to a wound. That's why they went underground. Mm. So in Uh, an ideal world, we, we come to a relationship healed and whole with none of those issues. And then we partner. Is that possible? (laughs) I don't think so. I I don't think that's the way it's supposed to happen. I I mean, I'm not sure it is either. You know, it's it's a, you know, this is tangential a bit, but one of the other reasons I like Imago theory is that 99.999% of all couples struggle and the other whatever is 0.0001 are liars or asleep. (laughs) Um, So if that's the case, if all of us have to struggle to stay in committed relationship, rather than assume there's something wrong, why not assume that's the way it's supposed to be and try to find out the meaning behind it? Yeah, I love that idea. I love that. So did writing this book help you deal with your own envy differently? Give us the down and dirty. How are you doing it now? <laughs> well, I, what I would say is it's made me, it's given me a more comfortable relationship to my own envy. So it's true I'm no longer envious of people who write books, but I am envious of people who sell lots of books. And rather than see, you know, gosh, this ever receding goalpost, I think what it means is that so long as we're alive and we're growing and wanting to become more and more and more of who we were born to be, we're going to be envious because that's how we get the signals. You know, I have to admit to myself that I do care that people buy my book. So that forces me to contact lovely people like you and say, hey, can I be on your program? Because I want to, it's, it's actually truthfully, it's less about selling the books for ego it's more about claiming this as an important message that I have that I want to get out into the world. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You want to shine your light. I love it. So it's really about being honest with ourselves and a little bit of envy is okay. So let it lead us to our to our highest and best selves. I mean, that's my takeaway. And I can't that's wait good. to read the book. Yeah, this is awesome. This is awesome. Before we talk about where we can get the book and more information about working with you, uh, are you planning on writing anything else? 
Yes, um, I was. Well, uh, my plans for the next book, I've actually got the next two books planned. I'll tell I'll talk briefly about them and then what I'm doing right now. Um, the next book I want to write about, it's not going to make sense when I say the working title is about having to do with the role of projection in congregant clergy relationships. Oh, yeah. Well, and so what I mean by that really is we, juicy. we yeah, we if if you have anything to do with mainstream religion or any kind of spiritual communities, you know that what we do with our spiritual leaders is we put them up on a pedestal yes. and then we want to knock them off. And that has to do, I think, with our projections on it says a lot more about us than it does about them. And I think basically we need to take responsibility for our own spiritual connection or our own relationship to God. So I want to look at that because I think our you know, there's nothing more difficult than being a pulpit clergy and having to put up with all of that. Yeah, that's a great subject. I love that. I love that. I'm curious to see what comes out of that. So for more information about you and your book, Embracing Envy, Finding the Spiritual Treasure in Our Most Shameful Emotion, where can we find you and it? Okay, well, it and if, let's start with the it. That's an online and all the major booksellers, whether it's Barnes and Noble or Amazon. So just go there, put in Embracing Envy, and you'll get to it. Uh, anyone who wants to contact me, I, I welcome. Uh, it would be easiest is via my website, which is my name, Josh Gressel, J-O-S-H-G-R-E-S-S-E-L.com. Awesome. Will you come back and talk about your next book? Because I think that's a really fascinating subject. I'd be happy to. I just hope it doesn't take me as long to write as my first one did. <laughs> I don't think it will. I think you're on a roll. I feel it. I feel it. Great. <laughs> they say from your mouth to God's ears. And I'm, I might be a little bit envious of your second book, so I might have to get started on mine. So thanks for that inspiration. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Josh. You have a great uh, thank day. Thanks God. for coming on the podcast. Uh-huh. Bye. Take care.